We're back on a shared word. Sandy, this is it for David. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, I, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> we'll have to come up with the next season quick. Uh, we will. We will for sure. So this is the this is the seventh episode of the second season as we're studying the life of David. And for this episode, we're going to look at David's final words. So uh, to kind of help us frame this conversation, we're going to think of uh, David's final public words, his final private words, and then our final words about David. Beautiful. How about that? That sounds great. <laughs> All right. So his, it's interesting. So Second Samuel, uh, it ends with uh, David sharing uh, some words uh, to the public. So uh, you especially really love this. So let's go there. This is in Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. Right. And this uh, is to believe to be his final pu- public words. Right. And, you know, he did do work. I think this is one of the interesting things. He, he does do work largely on setting the stage for uh, the temple uh, yeah. in his last work of his life. Uh, between these words, which were the last purportedly the last public words, and then his deathbed uh, scene, his comments, challenge he left for Solomon. Mm-hmm. But uh, in these words, there are just things about it. They're images I can never lose from my mind. Mm. And I want to focus on them a little bit with you and get your thoughts and obviously those listening. Uh, so he says uh, to the, the people at the beginning of these remarks, uh, obviously always referring to God, the rock of Israel, says when one, uh, God told him, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, which is a theme, I think, that shaped David's whole life. That's right. Don't you think, I mean, uh, that he always felt and lived true to a mandate of, of trying to be right uh, he, he, he failed. We talked about it the time he failed. But to try to live in a way in which his rulership uh, was uh, characterized by rightness or righteousness, and that he lived in fear of God, what better standard could there be for a yeah. leader? And the interesting thing is, as you remarked last time we met, uh, Solomon, his son, will be credited for the Proverbs. And and what is a major theme, especially for the beginning of Proverbs, yeah. is the fear of the Lord is beginning of all wisdom, all understanding. And so you see David gave Solomon this legacy. No doubt. And that righteousness, justice, and equity, which Solomon then says are the purposes of, this, of the Proverbs, yeah. beyond writing them and knowing them out of a fear of God. Yeah. That's beautiful. I hadn't actually thought about that. We get right here from David near the end of his life. Uh, the vision, the image, the sense of commitment and purpose that Solomon shows right at the outset of Proverbs. That's fantastic. Now, what about these images, Mark? I, I just there, Have there been times in your life where maybe on vacation or a summer morning as a child or maybe out with your own children or a memory even that older people have that goes uh, with this idea? He is like, God is like, now get a load of this image, the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. <laughs> Have you ever had that feeling? Do, do you can you bring to mind or to your body a, a feeling of that experience? Yeah, there is a there was a time in in college. I was a freshman, and I didn't really have people. I didn't have a community of people I was going to school with. I was kind of alone. And it was a, maybe my first week of classes, and 
uh, I randomly f- stumbled into friendship with a group of people and we had an all night long road trip and we got back just enough time for our 8 a.m. classes. And as I was crossing uh, the campus by myself, I was carrying, and this is incriminating, uh, we had stolen uh, Country Road 2001 <laughs> road signs because we were the class of 2001 at Texas A&M. We were crossing this field and the sun rose and I sat down at this field and I watched the sunrise and I knew I was going to be okay. And that for me... Right was, in that experience, in that moment. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had people. I had a community. I had support. I was sharing an adventure with. When I think about that, uh, the one who rules with righteousness and a fear of God, he is like the, like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning for me. That makes me think of the promise of what could be. Right. Protection, beauty, awe. All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. And then goes on to say, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Hmm. I just remember summer mornings in Dallas growing up. I remember days when our family took a vacation in Colorado and you get maybe that early morning rain and the sweetness, I can smell it, uh, the freshness. Uh, Again, a sunny day, uh, it would turn into brightness. Uh, and one could almost feel the flowers or the grass growing from yeah. the earth. There's vitality in it. Yeah, there's life, life in yeah. it. There's freshness in it. There's a sense of joy and purpose. All the things we've talked about with David, that he would go to these metaphors of these beautiful images of morning, summer morning light, a brightness uh, that brings that is that, that is vivifying. Yeah, uh, that brings life. Yeah, that has life in it. What a stunning way! And this is at the this is these are the last thing he, things he says. Yeah, that's right. It's not like we did it great or it's over or the best days have come and gone. Yeah. He says he's thinking about an experience or a way of looking at the world going out as if we're coming into a new day. That's right. And all of this happens if we live rightly with God and if we have a sense of fear and respect for God. You would think that someone on this deathbed would not be talking about the sunrise, but they're thinking about the sunset. Um, I wonder if there's anything to that. Is the David, as he's considering the end of his life, that he's already looking not only at the, his own <laughs> life, but he's looking at what's coming up next. Yeah, and it's almost as if this is what he wants to say publicly. Yeah. This is what he wants to say to the world as a message to them and presumably to us. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it then records, so when he actually is dying, I mean, he's declining clearly in this period, and he has this to say to us. And then we get, it's interesting that his actual final words, privately or altogether, are words he he shares with his son Solomon. That's right. At the beginning of 1 Kings. All right, let's go there. And let's see now what he says, what would he say Actually, that would be his final, final words and words that he would share, not only with his son, of course, Solomon, but his successor, mm-hmm. uh, and it, who happens to be the same person, uh, Solomon. Yeah. So the, a really quick context. So the, he, he had another son who started assuming that he would take over the throne. Uh, it was made known to Nathan, the same prophet who came to David and, and uh, 
called forth his sin uh, with Uriah and Bathsheba. So Nathan then comes to Bathsheba and says, did you know that another son is stepping into the place and assuming the role as king? Uh, You should go in and talk to David Bathsheba, and then I will come in and let him know about this as well. So that's what happens. And then uh, King David quickly moves towards actually giving the throne over to Solomon. And mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, once that happens, then he shares these words to Solomon. Is that, is that correct? Yes, exactly. What do you make? Let's just talk about that for a moment. What do you make of the fact that the Bible wants us to understand that the final words are a charge? It's not uh, moaning. It's not woe is me. It's not even a prayer or a, or a psalm or something lovely or theoretical or aesthetic. It's a charge to his son, which has which is going to have some pretty prosaic things in it. Mm-hmm. Let's start with what is what do we make of that? I happen to love it, mm-hmm. but it's not what a lot of people would maybe want to see. Yeah, they might want to see something more along the lines of one of the lovely psalms he wrote. Yeah, or. Uh, that beautiful image of him dancing yeah. madly when the ark is returned to Jerusalem. No, this is pretty prosaic business he's right. discussing with Solomon. It reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Moses's final words, uh, Joshua's final words. There were there were charges as well. Yeah. Decide today whom you will serve. You know that kind of uh, charge, and I think in part is because when you see truly the brevity of life. You want to impose that clarity upon other people. Don't waste your days. Don't play it small. Lead well. Uh, live full-heartedly. Uh, make the most of every opportunity. I, th- I think that, that mortality gives you clarity, um, especially after walking with God for as long as David did. I think that's ex- exactly right. And I would go a step further to say that it actually drives you into specificity. Uh, into specificity in in some instances. I'm reminded, and some people find this very bizarre, of Socrates' last words. I mean, you sort of think, golly, what does he have to say? I mean, obviously, he's having to drink the hemlock. He's been punished. He has just a few moments left. He's got his disciples there with him, his students with him. And he's he's talked to them, just as you suggested, about how to go forward. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like his mind triggers into... He tells his chief disciple, student, oh no, we owe a, a rooster to a, a person. And he names the person. Be sure to pay the debt. Those are Socrates' last words. <laughs> now, I take from that, and I, I guess I'm bringing it up because I take I have somewhat the same feeling uh-huh. here with David on his deathbed. Yeah. What would you expect from a person who lives a life of fidelity and duty? A fidelity to God, a fidelity to the principles, the the really beautiful principles by which Socrates lived his life. You would expect him to be thinking, what am I duty bound? I have a few minutes left. I go straight to what duty calls me Mm. to do. I owe somebody something. I am going to be sure to pay that debt. I have a son. He's going to be the king. And I have a few last minute pieces of advice that I can share with him. Yeah. And I want to be sure that he's got it straight from me in the few moments I have. That's right. Duty as father, duty as king, duty as follower of God. And so here we go with him 
the two or three. And so what are these two or three things he remembers to, that he tells Solomon? Well, first off, he says, uh, be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord uh, your God requires, walk in obedience to him, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as it's written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do wherever you go. So that sort of be strong and of good courage type right, message right. is one he knew from his tradition. Right. Uh, Moses said that to Joshua. God said that to Joshua. Right. And so when you're passing leadership on in your tradition, you you give a message uh, within the tradition. That's right. Essentially be strong and of good courage That's right. and follow in this way. And so that would be the first thing that... Uh, that we would see, and it's what we see here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what comes second? Then it's like, <laughs> for me, as the first time I've read this in a long time, I was uh, surprised by the next set of instructions, which is uh, concerns about people that are around uh, Solomon, almost of be careful of them. <laughs> it, it, uh, it talks about uh, Joab's son of Zeruiah, so let's remember Joab. Joab was his trusted commander right? Uh, who really led the way. He was his consigliere. He was the one that executed uh, policies and practices mm-hmm. that were important to David. Some of them were difficult, including, including, Uriah. Ha- including Uriah, including how to deal with uh, Absalom mm. and how to deal with those who were seeking to uh, bring Absalom back. And Joab took a tough line. Joab didn't like people being uh, dishonest or disloyal to David. Uh, And sometimes uh, one gets the feeling that David both wanted that to be done, but kind of didn't. And so here he tells Solomon to watch out for him, which is what a father would want to tell a son about a powerful figure and and would want to tell the next ruler. Because this guy is going could be... Uh, could pose a lot of challenges to you. That's right. Uh, so practically speaking, I find that to be something very uh, meaningful. And and that's exactly what, what I would want to see yeah. in the Bible or elsewhere, right. that that would be addressed yeah. on this deathbed. And he also goes on to say, all right, so don't trust Joab. Be careful of him. Yeah. But do trust the sons of Bar- Bar- Barzillai mm-hmm. uh, of Gilead. Um Draw them close to you. They stood by me when I fled from your brother. Uh, so not only be careful of Joab, but place your trust in these uh, these faithful men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on once more to say, be careful of another person uh, mm-hmm. who called down bitter curses to me on a on a specific day. Um, he actually goes he goes ahead and, and says. Uh, do not consider him innocent. You're a man of wisdom. You will know what to do. But bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. <laughs> it's almost like a mafia. Like this last last mom is going, hey, make sure to knock off this guy. He's not going to be good for you. <laughs> in, a, in this interesting way, David is, he's really concerned about uh, Solomon being able to, to be the king that he knows he can be. Well, it, it, exactly. And it, it sort of speaks out, exercise good judgment. Know the people around you. Know it's complicated. I could give you some highfalutin uh, notions of how to be a real high-level, 30,000-foot aspirational values. I could say that to you now, and that's kind of what we think deathbed. I love you. 
uh, I'm counting on you to do the best. Right. What I love about this is this is a man who's lived a full life and with all kinds of reality and depth and accomplishment. He's saying to us, life is complicated. The people matter. How we treat others matters. And some people are deserving of a favorable judgment because they've lived it out, and you should be aware of that. Other people are complicated, nuanced. You need to be wary of them. You need to be careful. And some people, whatever the outward appearance might be, are downright evil, and they will do bad things. And you probably ought not to have them around. And uh, that's David's final word. And that, and that isn't it interesting <laughs> that's so that interesting. David gives that kind of advice to Solomon? Yeah. And then he dies. And then he dies. And I think also another reason why this is so complex is there's there there had never been a peaceful uh, giving of the throne right. in succession. There's never been any of that. Before. I mean, there, David was the second king, Solomon the third king, and Saul and David didn't. That that wasn't a peaceful transition. So. I think, in part, David knew that this is going to be shaky. Um, And so he was caring for his son in that way, too. Right. I love it. I love what Socrates told his student uh, is the last thing to do. And I love this. I don't know that I would be this prosaic and workmanlike. But I love the fact that these two models were. Yeah. Now, so let's get in our final part of our conversation. I think we ought to des- devote five, ten minutes, Mark, to so what? I mean, what do we draw from the study of David? Who was he? What qualities did he have? What really uh, struck us uh, as uh, noteworthy, really especially noteworthy of a model that we want to carry away? What, what about his life mm-hmm. struck you the most? It, it conjures up a, a, a quote from a, an author, Flannery O'Connor. I don't, I don't know if you know her, uh, but she said, I've never trusted a man with, who doesn't have a limp. <laughs> and David is a incredible, beautiful example of a, a, a person after God's own heart. Uh, but man, he had, a, he had a limp. And he showed us that uh, you could run hard after God and you could try to do your best and still you're going to fail. And uh, you're still going to have difficulty along the way. And for me, David's life, his legacy to me, is to be a person after God's own heart does not mean you're perfect, but it means you have grown accustomed to reliance on God's grace and grown accustomed to the loyalty and the faithfulness of God. Uh, That, for me, is a a huge marker for the life of David. Absolutely. And and when he sinned, There were no excuses, you'll recall. He acknowledged the error immediately, and he sought to get right with God. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, he's a model model of uh, repentance, a mentor for all of us in repentance. And, you know, I know one thing I've enjoyed about this time together with you is you're bringing forward some of the Psalms that fit moments of his life. Uh, Some called him a sweet singer of Israel. Mm. Uh, He was close to God. Uh, but it was manifest uh, in in this music, in the poetry, in the psalms, yeah. um, so that that would help all of us arouse sparks of holiness in our day to day life. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, I think, just the 
fact that his faith in God was so complete, his life had all the struggles of a human being, of one of us, uh, and yet he was able to uh, compose psalms that were helpful to himself in serving God and following through with the steps of life, but helping all of us Mm -hmm. uh, deal with the many kinds of issues and problems we face in life. That's right. Something else I really appreciate about David is David, it's clear that God had set apart David for a unique purpose, to be this incredible king, bringing unity to all the tribes. Uh, But David, after a while, became, he accepted the role that he wasn't going to do everything. And he saw that his son was going to build the temple that he wished and dreamed he, he could do. and I, But I love the fact that David, he I believe that in later on in life, he actually delights in the fact that his son is going to live out the dreams that he had in his heart. And I think for many of us in our life, we have dreams that we know that our life aren't going to be able to reach for whatever reason. And to be able to to lead our families in such a way that our legacy can live on through uh, generations to come is it for me has been a beautiful reminder. Absolutely, I mean, in that regard, he was a table setter. Yeah, exactly. He was a table setter for yeah. Solomon and for all of us, a builder of foundations. Yeah, uh, not the builder of the temple or the final uh, goal or object of that. He was able to establish a foundation. Mm-hmm. What a lovely idea for all of us who may not be able to achieve that one thing that we want most in our lives, but we could pave the way. We could set the table for others to do it. Mark, you know, I'd also take a lot of heart in seeing someone who was so good at uh, achieving the the military goal, the accomplishment of defeating Goliath, Mm. and yet did it through an inner struggle. So he was a physical warrior, uh, but in a way, what we love about him was that he was a spiritual warrior. Mm-hmm. He fought those battles on the inside with his own bad inclinations. Uh, he fought all of that as hard as he fought the physical foes. Mm-hmm. And he defeated them, his challenges, mm-hmm. as he defeated. I think that's one thing I love about the image of him defeating, the way he defeated Goliath. Yeah, uh, We see that on the outside. But what we don't see as much is all the work it took him in his previous life and then later to deal with his inner challenges. Uh, How did he conquer all of that? God was near, and there was hope for the future, but he, there was almost a conquest over self. Mm -hmm. Did you, do you see that too? I do see that. Yeah. I, I, I think in many ways he sees the loyalty of God and that fuels his, uh, his endurance to allow God to work on him, to sharpen him. And, for us to have that same posture towards God, putting ourselves in the hand of God, that God can continue to form us into the people that we know that God has intended us to be. Yeah, for sure that we see that in David. You know, one of the things I love, people play games with names and letters, Hebrew letters. Hmm. And this idea of somebody who is really important to us, uh, David, you know, but one of the things I love about him is as significant a figure as he was in history. Jewish history, Christian history, history generally, that one of the things we admire about him so much was that there was a bit of a negation of the self. We've been talking about mm-hmm. that uh, within him. He was there to serve God. And so however powerful he was or noteworthy he was, that was always secondary. 
He was devoted to the people and to God with a sense of humility. And one of the games that some of the traditional commentators play is they look at his name, David, which begins with the letter Dalit. And Dalit is often associated with a pauper, hmm. with a pauper. Uh, and, and, but this Dalit is uh, the center of, there's a Dalit on the, in, on the front and a Dalit on the end with a Vav in the middle, uh, reaching upward, aspiring for growth and accomplishment. So that in effect, he's little on the beginning and the end, but there's always a sense of his accomplish, accomplishments being for the people yeah. and headed upward in the in the interest of in the in the name of God and not for himself. Yeah. So in a sense, he starts and ends a pauper, but he he his whole life is centered upward toward God in the form of this middle letter, the vav, the vertical mm. letter. And and I can never forget the image of him dancing and yeah. singing, even though it wasn't the cool the the respectable, formal way to be, but that it was really all about God yeah. and all about doing God's service. I I don't think David ever confused himself for being the ultimate king of Israel. Uh, we see that even in his final public words here of, you know, what does it mean to be king? It means to fear the Lord, uh, which is that smaller pauper position in, in, in the place before God. And you're so right. Uh, and if David should have that posture, it is good for us to have the same. Yeah, It's a lovely place to end, Mark. I, I think uh, to end with uh, this hope that we have a person who lived in history and is written of in the books, but what a gift we've been given, what a blessing we've been given of his model, because he speaks for us. He lives in a way that's meaningful, that carries forward to us, that we're able to see Again, through that messianic line within Christianity and Judaism, we're able to see and experience this in our own reading and study, our conversation, and we hope the conversations that our conversation will spawn. Love you, Sandy. Love you, bud. Thank you very much for this. Look forward to our next time together. Okay, we we aren't completely going away. We will come back, and uh, we have it's it's a surprise to you because it's a surprise to us. <laughs> we we'll have to figure that out. I look forward to it. It'll be good whatever it is. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.